This is the Ali La Rouge podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the view from the terraces at Liverpool FC. Welcome to another edition of Ali La Rouge. I'm joined by regular guests John Nicholson, Keith Colvin, and Mono, and special guest journalist and author Brian Reid. I'm your host, Peter Hooten. And what can I say? A couple of weeks ago, we were hoping this would be a temporary blip in form. Uh, but now we're after our fifth home league defeat in a row. Uh, it's, it's a really depressing times if you're a Liverpool fan. But uh, I think before we um, look into that, we've got to pay tribute to a club legend who sadly passed away this week. Arguably one of Liverpool Football Club's most important signings. And I think the outpouring of tributes um, in the media and on social media as well uh, is testament to how much he meant to people, not just as a Liverpool player, but as a broadcaster as well. And I think um, uh, he, he left us at the age of 82. Uh, and Brian, Reid, you know, you, you, um, you wrote a very touching piece, short piece in the Daily Mirror, about how the Saints sparked your interest in football. I mean, what did he what did he mean to you, and what did he mean to Liverpool Football Club, Brian? Yeah, we've had a lot of deaths lately, haven't we? You know, Ray Clements, Gerard Tierney. I mean, I really, I really, really gutted to hear about Ian St. John because he was such a live wire, such a character, such charisma, and it's true. He, he really was. He was my first hero. I mean, I first first the first game I remember going to was away to uh, in the FA Cup on the run to sixty five Cup final at Bolton. It was a terrible game. In Cali got one um, just a couple of minutes before the end. But it wasn't a game that would turn you on to football, you know. But St. John scoring that winner at Wembley and just the reaction and what it meant. I remember watching it at me Nana's house and the whole family was up. Uh, we'd won the cup and the crowd were, you know, that looked brilliant. And, and, and the whole city, well, the red office seemed alive. And, you know, St. John seemed to be, to me, as a kid at the centre of that, Although Roger Hunt was probably a better goal scorer, was a better goal scorer, and maybe Peter Thompson was more of a skillful player, St. John, to me, was the, he was what the heroes were made of. He had the attitude, he had the charisma, you know, he loved a scrap. Skillful little player, could, you know, it was at the centre of that give-and-go football. You look at some old clips of Liverpool in the mid-60s when they were playing their best give-and-go stuff. He's in the middle of it all. And to me, he was like, he was the rock and roll player in that team. You know, if there was a, if there was a Beatle, on the pitch, to me, it was, it was Ian St. John. And, and I loved him. And I met him later in life. Um, and, you know, I, I think I said, you know, you, they say you shouldn't always meet heroes because you're disappointed. Well, if, and I have to be honest, a couple have disappointed me, but not Ian St. John. Yeah. Uh, I remember I needed to do, I was on a Daily Post in 89. I wanted to do a 30th uh, anniversary celebration of Shankly coming to the club. It was basically an excuse to me some of the heroes like Bob Paisley and, and St. John and people like that. St. John was brilliant and he gave me contact details for Kevin Keegan, who was in Spain at the time. Just just really, really helpful fella. Because he was by then he was very good. He was very good in the media. He was a very professional media person, you know. And later on, I mean, it, you may remember about 10 years ago, I had my own radio show on City Talk. And it was hard to fill two hours every week, you know. Can't get Peter on every week. But um <laughs> and then but the last half hour I'd I'd I'd, I'd Start talking about football, Liverpool and Everton, and we'd look at the games. And St. John was due to come on with Snowden just after. And I used to look, is there any chance you can pop in for, for 10, 15 minutes and just talk, just join in, just to fill air because you're very good. And by the end, he was doing half an hour every week and he was the star of the show, you know. Yeah. And um, and that's something you forget. I loved, I loved his attitude to football because similar with Carragher today, he, he read the game really well. He wasn't afraid to say what he thought. As Gerard Houllier found out, you know, <laughs> his time at City, he said what he thought. He read the game. He was honest about it. He was yeah. funny. Um, great man. Very sad. But in terms of uh, Bill Shankly said it was his first great signing. Uh, and he transformed. Uh, if you look at any of the history books, he totally transformed Liverpool Football Club. I think his debut was against Everton. And he scored a hat-trick. I think that was in August 61, uh, wasn't it? And then Yeats arrived soon after and the debut was uh, August 61 against Bristol Rovers I think away it was they won 2-0 and they never that season they were unstoppable won the second division um, when they got into the top flight they came eighth in the first season but then won the league in uh, the second season 63-64 so I mean I know you're all a bit too young to remember those days uh, even if you were born but 
I mean, in terms of in terms of the history books, what do you think, Mono? Yeah, like Brian, I was I was gushing to myself, devastated because he's an icon of our club. You know, go back to like um, when I was, you know, we were kids growing up. You know, and you, your dad and he'd always tell you about Liverpool not winning the FA Cup, and uh, you know that was going on for years and years. Obviously, you know, um, since when they were kids growing up, and you've never seen Liverpool win it. And when we got to the final '65, and yeah, Sinjin scores. The other, you know, he, he was he was a folklore hero then, wasn't he? You know, in the red after City, and it was it was then he become I think the icon, you know, um, for everyone, you know, for me going to match from the uh, the, the mid late sixties, you know, uh, onwards, um, he was my hero with, with Roger Runs, you know, he was right up there, but it was so sad, yeah, you know, all, all the victories um, that that's been uh, loaded to him this week has been, you know. Well received by everyone. Um, it's so sad. Um, I think his legacy is it'll be second to none. You know, in our club for uh, for what he's you know what he done for the club. You know, um, on and off the off the um, the pitch. You know, he stayed in the city. He loved the city. He loved he loved, he loved the cop, didn't he? You know, he he loved the fans. You know, he, he was always speaking. You know, but for me, he loved Shankly. So I think that's why. He had a great rapport with Liverpool fans in the yeah. city, you know, and um, he's going to be sadly missed. Yeah. Yeah. Keith, have you got any childhood memories of him, or is it? Um, not necessarily. I've never met him, obviously. Um, you know, I've watched clips of him playing. I, I was five when the F, we won the FA Cup, and one of the bad memories for me was my dad was obviously went to game, and it was the first time I ever I think I heard him singing, and he woke me up coming home. After, yeah. I think he was obviously drunk, <laughs> and I could hear him coming down the street uh, singing. I think it was he, I know he won the cup, something like that. So, obviously, St. John was paramount to all that going on at the time. So, I picked, picked up what Brian said about him being on Radio City because I remember he did, he was very forthright with his views, which is nice to hear because some people do sit on the fence, unfortunately. Now, yeah. I remember going home sometimes in the car after the match, screaming at the radio, saying, you know, don't agree with what he was saying, but he was quite within his rights to speak his mind, and he did say it. He was very strong with his views, which was good to hear. Yeah. Because a lot of these pundits now just sit on the fence, and for anything else, yeah. he was a very straight-talking person, but he knew what he was talking about as well. I mean, although he meant so much to Liverpool fans, I mean, you could see the outpouring, and, you know, it was making the... Uh... You know, the national news, wasn't it, St. John? Yeah. Because of his broadcast career with, um, you know, as the Satan Greavesy. I mean, John, we, I mean, in terms of the Satan Greavesy, I mean, it was like they were a national phenomenon. They were, you know, they were on spitting image, weren't they? You know? <laughs> yeah, they, they, were, they were absolutely brilliant at that. And um, they actually, at the time, they engaged football fans from all the clubs. I think everybody loved a pair of them. You know, what I mean by that is maybe if two guys are on the TV today, the way that Bantz has become tribalistic, unfortunately, with social media, and fans don't like someone because they're from a club that they don't like. But I think even if Satan Greaves came back on the telly today and had their programme again, I think everybody would still love to pair them. You know, and, and St. Saint, Saint John was, was brilliant on it. Brilliant, like, sort of, um, to straight man, if you like, for, for, for Greavesy, but... But he just never stopped laughing, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. he, he, he was he was brilliant on it. I thought, you know. Ryan, do you think? Do you think it's it's fair to say that without the likes of Saint John and Ron Yeats, we wouldn't have the modern day Liverpool Football Club that we know? Because obviously, after Shankly's great side of the sixties, we went on to dominate um, domestic and European football. But it was the foundations that they put in place, wasn't it? I, I would say. I still think we would have been because of Shankly, if I'm honest. I mean, if he couldn't have got St. John and he couldn't have got Yates, he probably would have got two others. That's not to take anything away from how great they were because they were the ones he wanted and, and they worked for him and, and, and that was great. But I think I think it was Shankly was the man who, who would have probably got... He wanted Brian Clough, didn't he? He couldn't get Brian yeah. Clough. Um, I think, yeah, of course, of course they were the, the kind of... You know, they, 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 were, they were the cornerstones, weren't they, the, the team that we built. And I think about St. John, he was like, the, he was, I mean, there was, there was Elisha Scott, there was Billy Little. To me, he was Liverpool's first modern superstar, in, in my yeah. opinion. Um, and it's interesting when you, when you speak to, when, you, when I used to speak to St. John about certain things, 
uh, because it puts in perspective how a foot player's life has changed and what they get out the game. St. John was very bitter at the end, um, yeah. and he, he, he's the first to say it, by the way, he was treated. Yeah. Not just about being told he was down the pecking order because he got a small turkey at Christmas, but that's what a story <laughs> that is. Most of his face last night, imagine telling him he's got a small turkey. Because um, <laughs> he's not but, in the first team. Yeah. yeah, but also about the fact that I remember him saying to me, yeah, I don't remember the time, a lot of the players when they bought them in the, in the early 60s, they used to go to McGull, didn't they? They had those houses in McGull and they were clubhouses and they'd give it to you, the club bought it and you'd pay the mortgage. So they were effectively paying rent. So after 10 years, St. John said, um, OK, look, I've been paying rent for 10 years and we like it here, Betsy likes it now. Can I just give you back, can I pay the mortgage? I think the mortgage was two and a half thousand quid. So can I give you two and a half grand and the house is mine then? Because I've been paying it for 10 years. And he went, no, sorry, mate. It's a clubhouse. We've got someone else lined up. See ya. You know? <laughs> and, and that's the kind of, so sometimes, yeah. I don't know, when I'm seeing some of the players moan about certain things today and I don't want to get onto all that modern players yeah. uh, Pre pampered prima donnas because I hate that but it does put it in perspective what St John gave to this club over 10 yeah. years you know and I've seen some you know players let's say if we can give a fraction of that but are treated are treated like gods you know yeah. um, Peter Krause this week was talking about you know, these player liaison officers you get them to walk the dog and finish with the girlfriends you know and things like <laughs> that. Um, that but with danger sounding like an old fart uh, it, it yeah. just that's what St John reminds me of because yeah. he was kind of he did it like a lot of those players. He did deserve more than he got. You know, yeah, he did deserve yeah, a yeah. better way. But football was brutal. It was yeah. absolutely brutal. So when I hear some players moaning about the conditions of the way clubs are treating today, I think of being St John and his small yeah. turkey and his yeah. and, and his little house and you yeah. know, it's perspective. Yeah, Shankly actually said um, that he was his first great buy. He said he was clever, canny, bags of skill, made things happen. He liked to scrap. To Jesus, did he like a scrap? <laughs> and I wanted to. Sometimes I wanted to tie his fist behind his back, but a great player gave you everything on the pitch. And obviously, I think they had, he had such a good relationship with Shankly. That's why he felt so disappointed that Shankly didn't let him know that he'd uh, he dropped him against Newcastle. I think it was 1969, and it was Jackie Milburn, a, a Newcastle legend, who become a journalist and up in Newcastle told him he wasn't on the team sheet and that that was the start of it really but I think you know that that's a personal thing I think in terms of the, in terms of fans and my dad's generation he meant everything to them you know uh, and the fact that St John had to realise then he was getting edged out of the team especially after Watford the uh, FA Cup defeat uh, against Watford, I think that was 1970. He was gradually uh, just, and he says in his autobiography, "You're quite right, Brian, that he, you know he had a love-hate relationship with Shankly because of that. Because I think he wanted Shankly to say to his face, didn't he? Look, mm. son, you're getting, you know, you're getting a bit old, and you know, I've got to find a replacement. Because is the way he did it, but that was because Shankly could not face. Yeah, basically, it was his hero as well, wasn't he? He was mm. Shankly's hero as well. Allez les Rouge on the Blood Red Channel. So I think, it, you know, it's, it's very sad what happened, and, you know, but I think you can't overlook the glory days, uh, those mid-60s, win the league twice in the FA Cup. You know, we, when people say legend, he is a proper, true legend of the club. There's no doubt about that. I mean, Mono was that. How you read it? Yes, yeah, spot on. Yeah. Go back to what he said there, you know, you remember the, the Watford game when we got beat by the ending, scored the goal, uh, and that's when the team was ripped up then, wasn't it? You know, mm. it's, it's the time. It time. was, yeah. <laughs> I, I, my mum couldn't get me out of the room for two days. <laughs> that's true, that, yeah. Um, but then, you know, it was obviously a new team had to be built from which Shankly done then. And, but as Brian said, you know, it's, it's the way f um, football was at the time. It was brutal. You know, there was... Yeah. You know, you're, you're the star today, but, you know, you're gone tomorrow. You know, yesterday, sorry, but it's the way it was. But uh, for me, he's, he's right up there with uh, proper legends of our football club. I think that's why, Keith, it's it's affected so much. You know, it's affected people so much, hasn't it? You know, the fact that he was that iconic figure in the 60s, but then he had this new life, as a, first of all, as a manager. Uh, I think he was at Tranmere, Motherwell and Portsmouth. Uh, and then as a broadcaster, because he was in a... And the laughs he used to have, him and in, him and Greavesy, you know, he was like more or less the straight man, wasn't he? And the la the number of times you just... He was aesthetically laughing. 
like uh, what Jimmy Greaves was getting up to, and it was like <laughs> it was it was almost like the forerunner to the modern day presentation of football, wasn't it? Because we were used to the stayed BBC, uh, you know, Jimmy Hill type stuff. And then all of a sudden, you had these two, didn't you, on the television? Yeah, you know, they, they were the forerunners for what's going on now. There's no two ways about it. But they were very good. Yeah, what they were talking about, they were obviously two great players. You knew what they were talking about, but they, they done it in a bit of a different slant. Um, and, you know, it was completely new to what was going on at the time, wasn't it? Obviously, you know, it was everything was in black and white still, basically, wasn't it? They just, them two just burst onto the scene and just blow, blew all the cobwebs away from all the, or, you know, from all the establishments of what you should do and what you can't do. Um, and they were brilliant. But yeah. I, I looked back the other day, I was watching uh, on the television, it was LSTV, where the rerun of the FA Cup in 65, and they were all, the remaining players were sitting in it, I think it was in a, in a, a cinema somewhere watching it. Yeah. And it was, it, was a, it was fantastic to watch the faces. They had a camera on the face, yeah. And you could see the, the, the love and what they had for the club and he still got for what they'd done for that for our football club. Like say, you know, Ron Yates and you know, um obviously St. John was the Roger Runs. It it was brilliant to watch it. It was fantastic, you know, and I'm not knocking modern day footballers as such, but if half of these footballers had the, the the affection and the love that they had for our club and still have for our club, you know, I know we've been great lately, obviously, but it's just great to see that. People, them, them footballers of that era still loved our football club, and not so much personally for what they'd done themselves, what they'd done for our club. It was, it was, it was an amazing thing to watch the way they were just sitting there watching the rerun of the game. Yeah, and the way they were just, they looked like they had tears in their eyes watching it. Yeah. It, it was, it was, it was mind blowing to be honest. Yeah. Brian, you know, uh, he felt a bit let down by the club the way he left uh, Anfield, and also there's a similar story with Satan Greaves, wasn't it? Because it was a, a very popular TV show. <laughs> And then they were just dropped, weren't they? Uh, I think both St. Yeah. and Greasy have talked about that. Have you have you got any ins insight into that? I mean, no, not really. Just the fact that he'd moaned about it, but he moaned about it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I said to him um, when I went did that interview in that in 1989. He said, "Yeah, they still owe me money that from me column last year." And I did one thing. And when you said he loved the city, which he did love the city, and he's spot on about that thing in Wilton, it was really, he was a very emotional, he was crying. And our Phil, of course, makes those documentaries. He said, towards the end, if you got to St. John talking about it, he would fill up. He, yeah. took, him, he took him in the, um, you know, into, onto the pitch past the This is Anfield sign. And he was just, so it all came back to, I can almost yeah. see the boss standing next and he's pointing at the cop and going, you're doing it for them. You're doing it for them, you know. Never yeah. forget that's working class people. And that's another thing. They were, He'd come up from, he'd, he was born in poverty and Motherwell had a, had a tough upbringing. His father died young, living in a tenement, you know. They were, they were working class people. They were still working class men who felt lucky they were getting paid to kick a ball. And I think that's an important difference now, you know. Uh, the, the players today aren't. They almost feel like royalty when they join the academy. There's something different, you know. Yeah. Uh, and they could be millionaires by the time they're still teenagers, can't they? If they... If they get it right and sign the right contract. And I think that is a big difference. And that's why that's why that, that group of lads in the 60s, not just at Liverpool, Evertonians say the same about, you know, Westright, Wilson, Labone, Harvey and them, you know, is that the working class fellow went the match felt a real affinity with them because you'd see them in the pub, you knew what they drank. They didn't have much more money than you. You know, they had a better suit and a better Ford Anglia, but they didn't have that much more money than you. Uh, and and that, so that was, there was a real affinity. It's almost like, they knew they were lucky. They didn't have airs and graces, you know, yeah. and, and working class fellas. So that's respected them for that and bonded with them more, identified more. Yeah. And that's why their passing is, is, is so much sad because they didn't go on to live opulent lifestyles. Yeah, they just yeah. went on to get, if they were lucky, like St. John was, to get a career in the media and get a bigger house. And because the pension was nothing as well, you know, the pension, <clears throat> yeah. the pensions at Liverpool came in later when Brian Hall and Steve Highway had mm. a bit of brains about them for a suggestion to Peter Robinson. There'd yeah. be no, there'd be no uh, pensions in football. It was revolutionary no. because you, because how can you, you know, how can you get a pension at thirty five? And that's, that's that's why they had the testimonials, wasn't it? That's why they had testimonials, and you know, and there was, and then in those days you either ran a pub or became kind of like an insurance salesman or something. You know what I mean? They traded on your name. Uh, I think I think we all realised that that you know, and when you see the matter was on the streets or in a pub, they were just like normal fellas, no yeah. ways, no no bounces. So that's why. You know, they were undoubtedly that, that. I think that those not just Liverpool, but you know, we, we heard about it with the World Cup team in '66. 
you know, how, how they were let down. They weren't really looked after Bobby Moore, yeah. you know. Yeah, they were yeah. neglected by the game, and yet they were the real... That was when football became, <clears throat> in the late 60s, you know, that's when it became a proper... It, it, it entered the national psych, psychology as a kind of a major... It'd be on the front pages. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It was, it was the rock and roll of, of its day, in a way. And, and those players, you know, um, they didn't earn a lot of money, but they earned a lot of love. Mm, yeah. No, uh, I totally agree. I think if, you, if you're looking at that St. John period, though, uh, when he became a broadcaster after St. Greasy, as you say, he went to Radio City and there was a bit of, obviously we've got to mention, because he divided opinion then because of his, uh, because he was a friend of uh, Roy Evans, wasn't he? Mm. Um, St. John, very good friend of Roy Evans. So I think he took Roy Evans' side when Roy Evans asked, asked for some help. They gave him an assistant manager, which was Julia, you know. And I think obviously that divided opinion and... Um, I remember doing an interview with St. John in the Match Day magazine. And it was just, just an innocent. I was given St. John's phone number, Roger Hunt's phone number, and Ron Yeats. And St. John was the first person to agree. Uh, Roger Hunt couldn't do it, and Ron Yeats I couldn't get hold of. So I did the interview with, uh, with Ian St. John, went over, and he, he could, as you say, Brian, he couldn't have been more helpful. Went over, he talked, he talked. And I deliberately never asked him about the Julier situation. Mm. Anyway, I went in the Matchday magazine and uh, I didn't know, but I never got a phone call again off the Matchday magazine to do any more interviews. But allegedly, Julio had, had gone ballistic <laughs> and said, whoever put this man in this yeah. you know, Matchday magazine? And he was a club legend. And he yeah, actually yeah. ripped up the magazine in front of the editorial staff and said, that, whoever did that interview never writes for us again. <laughs> and no. that was me. You know, so yeah. it was like, he had a straight, it was, you know, uh, that relationship he had with the club later on, uh, you know, it was very sad in many ways, wasn't it? You know? Well, that's what happens when, you know, it's like Shankly, it's like yeah. the effect of him when he went, you know, what answer him, you know, it's the age, wasn't it, the 70s, you know, that as Brian alluded to before, it's, yeah, it's yeah. the way, it's the way life was, it's, you know, unfortunately, wouldn't happen now because it's because yeah, yeah. the amount of money in the game and you know uh, the yeah. self persona about everyone. But at the time, he was just he was just a, a commodity yesterday, and you've gone now. That's it. Yeah. Well, the you know the basically the fans still loved him, didn't they? I think the fans still loved him, still remembered him. And I think whenever he there's some great. I mean that that film that you filled it, Brian, uh, which was on the uh, uh, Liverpool TV. Uh, it was absolutely fantastic and so emotional right. and it, mm. what it meant to people you know and when we did the Shankly documentary a few years ago uh, we had footage of him looking at in the museum and he's in tears you know we had that real yeah that relationship with the club that comes from a, a genuine love for Liverpool Football Club as Brian said you know you, you see that they're just working class fellas weren't they and you knew they realised how lucky they were to get brought to Liverpool by the manager at the time and obviously went on to greater things, and you know, and but he still remembered it, and yeah. you know, and he always will be because they were a great team. Unfortunately, for, for some of them, they didn't get they, some of them fell on hard times, you know what I mean? And still, there's still a few of them alive now who fell on hard times and haven't been looked after properly. Um, and it's not nice to see, yeah. Um, and you know, unfortunately, you know, there's not many of them left now uh, of, that, of that era, um, so they really should be looked after better, John. Um, what's your bad memory then? I think basically that he was one of the men that I know Brian mentioned before it might have been anyone that Shankly got but but he's there as one of the um, foundation stones of what Liverpool Football Club became in the 70s and 80s you know um, and, and he epitomises all that spirit that Shankly wanted to bring into the team and into the club and the bond with the fans and you know, given everything on the pitch. You know, Ryan, have you got a final word for uh, tribute to a great icon of Liverpool Football Club? He'll always be remembered. I mean, you know, when you look back, when you look back at the great images of Liverpool Football Club, the greatest images for a whole generation of fans was May Day 1965, when for the first time in, what was it, 73 years, they lifted that cup and the albatross was off the back. And, you know, that to me is in the top three images of all time would be first one European Cup. Tommy, say that, say St. John's era, Tommy Smith's era in Rome, you know, yeah. 
maybe Gerard's Heather in Istanbul, but you yeah. know, it, it, it's right up there. And yeah. that's a lovely thought, really, for, for such a great man, because he, he genuinely will never be forgotten. And that, that celebration of, of that goal is an iconic image for Liverpool. Yeah. Mono? Yeah, what everyone said there. Um, I, I, still, I, I still feel so, so sad about it, you know, because we've been watching all the fusses all week you know, of the 65 Cup final again and a great documentary that Phil done uh, at LFC TV with, with the other lads. Um, and when, and when he's seen sitting there and he, he's filling up St. John, you know, all the time, you know, whether he was in that cinema watching the game again, or you've seen him on other, other you know, um, interviews and he, he just, he's so sad when he watches, you know, yeah. when he thinks about playing for Liverpool and what he, what he's done. Um, you know, when he's seen him come out, out the, uh, onto the ground looking at the cop, as you said, for me, he's an icon, he's a legend uh, and he'll always be remembered, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, we as copites, we certainly uh, uh, loved him and uh, remembered him. And I think anywhere we he went in the world, people remember that. You know, Alele Rouge on the Blood Red Channel. So we've got to move on to more, you know, depressing. <laughs> it's not a very, it's not full of fun and laughter. This podcast is it. If you want fun and laughter. You've got to join uh, Neil Fitzmaurice on poetry and motion. Just Google Satan Gracie. Yeah, but uh, anyway, we've got to you know talk about the uh, the present situation now. Five, you know, we went sixty-eight uh, home games unbeaten, and now we've just had f- five on five on the run defeats. Now, if someone had said that when the crowds were you know were Anfield, we'd be beaten five times on the run at Anfield. Uh, you would have taken them away. The, you would have taken them away in white coats, wouldn't he? I mean, what the hell is going on? I mean, is it just be? Is it the perfect storm? Is it the fact that there's no fans there? Is it we all know the injury problems? But you know, be, you know, Christmas time we beaten Paris seven nil and we were riding the crest of a wave, really, and it's just all imploded. I mean, Brian, is there anything you can, you know? Can yeah, I've you got see? Have you got the solution? <laughs> I've got the solution. Bring back St. John. <laughs> no, um, no, you're right. I mean, because a couple of us were at that game, the West Brom game on Box Day, I think it was, the day after. And when Marnie scored that opener, we thought, let's sit back here. I know it's Sam Allardyce, but probably get three or four here. And this is a stroll, you know, back on top. As you say, if someone had said to you when that Marnie goal went in, they won't score for another 10 hours from open play at Anfield. Just, just let that sink in. That team won't score from open play yeah. in 10 hours at Anfield, you just, as you say, you'd have thought, well, has a bomb dropped or something? Has everyone got COVID and they haven't played? Because you couldn't, you couldn't have foreseen it. You couldn't have foreseen it. And when I look at them now, I genuinely think, I look at the players and look at the manager, and they almost remind me of a, not so much a, punk, a punch-drunk boxer, but a boxer that's taken too much punishment. And, you know, when the trainer goes to look at them behind, give them the salts, and there's nothing behind it. I, I, I They look... They look done in and yeah. lacking ideas and lacking inspiration. And, and I think there's a dis, this, but I think what's most worrying for me is there seems to be a disunity. I don't, I don't like it. I didn't like Mo Salah doing that last night. Um, I don't like the fact that there's clearly disagreements about whether we should have spent big or, or bought a decent play at the beginning of January. These are things Liverpool now should be in cruise control. Of course, you're going to get your setbacks. And my attitude of the last few weeks has been look, We've been blessed for two seasons, the last two seasons. So we can have one where we look cursed in it. But it goes deeper now. When you see it again, you know, as fans, we're not looking forward to these home games. We kind of know what's coming. We can tell after five or ten minutes, nothing's changing. The same pattern of play, the same players looking knackered. Uh, and and it doesn't do now to go back to an injury in October to one player, you know, or maybe a couple that have gone on after that. Because at the moment, say last night, yeah, we had those three central, central defenders out and Jordan Henderson, but that doesn't excuse that lack of attacking now. You know, we, 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 I mean, we had we had that front six, you know, just did nothing, really. And on the bench, you've had three more midfield players. Cater cost 52 million. Oxlade-Chamberlain cost, I'm fully still 27. Um, Shaqiri. Uh, you know, if these can't make a difference, then we are in trouble. 
you know, and, and it's yeah. kind of it's 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 it's, it's kind of worrying. Um, the only thing you can say is really that this time last year, I remember I looked at the table before lockdown a year ago, and we were twenty five points ahead of City, and they had a game in hand. We're now twenty two points ahead of City, so it's actually as it was. It's just that I think at the t- I think City only lost. Only I'd, I'd won eighteen games. We've only won twelve. We're not winning games, you know. Because, yeah, yeah. uh, but, but other teams have got better. And I knew when the appointed Tuchel, I, I couldn't understand the stuff about poor old Frankie Lampard going. I thought it was a great move, and I knew he'd make them because they've got the squad. I think about this pandemic is the season has been really shortened. You've got to have it's so intense. Mm. They've got the squad. The squad. City's got the squad. Liverpool haven't got the squad. Because those two fullbacks have been crying out for the rest all season. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, Reese James at Chelsea, about the same age. He plays a game, misses a game, plays a game, misses a game. Those two fullbacks look shot. Mm-hmm. Now, doesn't he rate Nico Williams? If he doesn't raise him, why is he on the bench? Where's the Greek lad gone? You know, there's issues there that are worrying because if if he has to play the same team time and time again, which he shouldn't be at this stage, even including injuries, then you've got to say. It needs a bigger overall than, than we even thought of. So, no disguising it. it it's, it's worrying times and it's difficult until the summer comes to see to see any real light there. John, were you, um, was it a tactical masterclass from Chelsea or was it a case of Liverpool just, you know, have become so predictable and so clueless over the last few weeks in terms of uh, attacking? I mean, what, what do you think? A, 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 bit, a bit of each, you know. Chelsea have been playing quite well recently with um, under Tuchel, and they have got, you know, uh, the potential to score from a number of areas. Like we didn't see one last night. Giroud, I don't know whether he was on the bench, but I was certainly hoping he wasn't going to play or come on because, um, he, you know, he'd have been a handful. But from our point of view, been trying to think, you know, about it and. You know what what's gone wrong and why and 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 I think um, you know four things probably three of them we can't do anything about the injuries are the injuries that's not going to change now unless it gets worse before next season it's unlikely to to improve but it, it, you know it could get worse um, I think the crowd certainly for these own games recently um, I don't think we'd have lost what we'd have lost if we did have some presence of the crowd there you yeah. know. Um, but we can't do nothing about that. That's that's next season. You're not going to like this one. VAR, it's not done us any favours this season in, in key games, you know. Um, I would argue, you know, looking at it not from a Liverpool fan, but I'd argue that Chelsea's goal should have stood the first goal because yeah. we've complained all season about Salah and uh, Mane. Yeah. Getting ruled offside for a fraction of an inch, mm-hmm. a millimetre. And to me, that goal should have been allowed last night. That's, that surprised me they disallowed it. Yeah. You know, I was surprised they disallowed it. Yeah. Um, you know, what, about, what about the handball? Chelsea handball? No um, that would have been given earlier in the season. Early in the season, it would have been given. You know, but, but you know, on the VAR, I was going to go back to if, if, if he's offside last night, Werner. Well, why isn't that Massey offside for Leicester City? Because if that doesn't get allowed at Leicester City, we win that game at least 1-0, maybe 2 or 3, but we've lost the 3-1. So that's yeah. what I mean by VAR hasn't done anything for us this season. But I think the, the fourth thing it comes down to uh, where we can do something is the manager and the players. They're the ones who've got to start performing again. And Brian mentioned that the, the, the 10 hours before, you know, we just don't even look like scoring. No, no, and yeah. there's nothing that we can do about that. But no. the manager and the players have got to do something about it. And Salah having his little straw to yeah. me is bang out of order. Yeah, I think yeah. Manny's done something similar at Crystal Palace, if I remember. But mm. when he got pulled off, and, you know, Salah's allowing himself to get physically dominated by Rudiger for the whole match. Yeah. You know, and then throwing a strop when he comes off the pitch. Well, why didn't he throw one when Rudiger's all over him? Because yeah, yeah. as soon as a Liverpool player went near a Chelsea player last night and was, was behind them, the Chelsea player was making sure he got the free kick out of it. Yeah, yeah. Keith, are you, I mean, are they feeling sorry for themselves? We need a bit of someone to, you know, the, you know obviously we haven't got Jordan Henderson there, but where is the, where's the leaders on the pitch at the moment? Um, 
unfortunately, not, there's not many there at the moment as, as, as the results will bear that out. But I do feel that they are feeling sorry for themselves in some respects, and I think they've got to shake themselves out of it. I said, I said the other week that the club, the whole club needs a lift, and they've got to lift each other. Now, how they do that is, you know, that's up for them to sort that out because, you know, the highly prof- paid professional uh, footballers and managers and coaches. So between them, we've got to lift ourselves. We've got to get ourselves out of the doldrums, and there's no excuse for us to lose five games on the bounce at home. I've been harping on about the crowd not being there for a long time now, and it is a massive effect. But in saying that, we shouldn't be get, we shouldn't lose five games on, on the trot. Not against the teams we've been playing against. You know, you can throw in City and Chelsea, two decent sides, but Everton, Brighton, you know, teams like them, they shouldn't be beating us at home. And Burnley. Burnley, sorry, as well. Yeah. So no, they shouldn't be beating us. So they shouldn't uh, be beating us at home. But yeah. they are. Now, that's time for them to sort out on the training pitch when they're you know, behind closed doors. But somewhere along the line, they've got to lift each other and they've got to do it sooner rather than later because, unfortunately, you know, the league's long gone over the hill, but we've still got a chance at the European Cup. If we play the way we are at the moment, you know, I, I would assume we, we're good enough to beat Leipzig, but whoever we get in the next round, mm. if we carry on the way we are, we're going out. And we yeah, can't yeah. have that because, yeah. you know, we have had a lot of factors that have come to a perfect storm for us. But as Brian has said and John has said, we can't keep using that as an excuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got to look towards each other or the club the players have and look at each other. I, I thought Salah, no, I'm probably disagree. I thought Salah had a good, done all right last night. I thought yeah. he was the only, you know, you looked at the game, you can only see the game from the television. So you get a different perception, don't you? You don't see yeah. the way we do when we're in the cop. But he was chasing down, he was running down, he was chasing <clears> the goal, and he was doing a lot of running. Man, he wasn't doing much of it last night. And he, mm. he kept them on the pitch, and that might be a tactical decision. Fine. I haven't got a problem with Salah having the cob on when he went off. I think, you know, that's Can the way I just it is. say something there, Keith? Just, just to interrupt quickly on that, because I heard from a journalist who was in the ground last night, and it may be, but I think it's out there now, but Klopp was on to Salah for mm. five minutes saying, you're not tracking back, you're not tracking back. Get back. And, and at one point, the last time he said it, he just jogged back and looked over. Yeah. Then he turns to Pep Lins and says, get him off, get him off. Yeah. And, and that's fair enough. You know what I mean? It, it's mm. there's no superstars in that team. No, I, I totally agree. No, and, and at the time it looked weird to me. It looked mm. weird to me because Firmino was thinking the place I was and man I was. But it, things are going on which you know we don't really we don't really see. And I think that's the earliest he's been a substitute as a Liverpool player. Oh, yeah. But he's going to sit there and moan about it. Well, that that that's things. You know, look yeah, at yourself. Yeah. Look at yourself. The manager did it for a reason. Yeah, I understand that, and I, I totally agree. But for, personally, as as I thought you'd done all, you know, again watching it from the television angles, I thought you'd done all right. But yeah. as you say, you don't see everything from the television. And again, I'll I'll still stand by. I don't mind him having a cop on because you no. wouldn't want him going off smiling neither, would you? Laughing and joking, so you can't win there. Either but way. the problem is immediately is his agent put a, mm. a cryptic tweet out, didn't he? It was a blank yeah, screen with a full stop. You know, what I mean, that's modern day football, Peter. That's I mean, I know it is, but. What can Paul, we do, do about you? that? We we can't yeah. do nothing about that. You know what I mean? So, you know, to me, I'd look beyond all that. Yeah. I would suggest Salah will probably go in a year or so time. Anyway, I think you know, I think out of three of them, he'd probably be the first one to move on. Anyway, so I think that was always a plan for them. Anyway, to move on from Liverpool. But going back to to this current situation, the players, as John said, and we've all said, the players have got to look at themselves and start lifting each other. It's the only sort of answer that we've got now at the moment because, you know, pounds to a penny, we'll get more injuries before the end of the season. Yeah. You might get some decent players back like Jota last night, come on and, you know, looked a bit of a bright spark. We used to say that we might get a few more players back in in the next couple of weeks, but it's paramount that we get our game together, mainly because of the European Cup. That's the thing we've got to go for now. Alele Rouge on the Blood Red Channel. Mono, is there any, I mean... <clears throat> How do we, you know, we've got Fulham on Sunday. I mean, I'm not looking forward to it. Uh, but, I mean, can we, I mean, what do we do? What does a manager do to get this team? I mean, we've seen some slumps in Liverpool form over the years, going the match. What what does he do? We've never seen anything like this before. What does no, he do? We're not there to help him. So, we're not there to get behind the team. What What does he do? Not for a long time, please. But uh, we've we've seen this. But just alluding to um, last night's game, like I said at the start, you know, we we had a chance to go one and up. I I thought Manny should have went down, and got a penalty. It's it's a fine it's a fine line eh, all the time. You know, fine tuning in games. You know that that go one way or another way. If he gets the penalty, we score with one nil. But 
you can look back what Brian said earlier on. It's been 10 hours since we won nil up against West Brom. And then we let them come back into it. So it mightn't have happened, you know, later on. It's the same with um, Bailey, you know, Salah should have, you know, maybe scored in that um, first few minutes. Then it's a different game against Bailey then. But, but then is it down to confidence? Do you think it's all about confidence? Listen, I, I think it's coming through to Mane. Um, yeah, like he's a confident player. He takes a touch and slots. Takes a touch, touch and yeah, yeah. Instead, he, he went for it. Missed the ball completely. Missed the ball completely. But you know that 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 seems to be going on. That's that's what's happened to Liverpool uh, for, for for all this run that's been going on. But I think to to come out of it, he's just got to keep on working hard and believe in himself seriously. You know, as we uh, someone said before, we haven't we don't see Anderson, Van Dijk, Gomez. We're, we're really more or less up to scratch with all the plays that we have got the bench is, we said last night then he's between us all at least the bench looks a bit alright tonight mm-hmm. but there was no impact when he did come on you know Josh you know he, he, can't, he can't blame that kid he just come on you know first time in a long time um, he will get better in the coming hopefully the coming weeks and the last you know few months of the season without getting any injuries but I think he's just got to keep cracking on with it you know it's there's, there's, there's a, a rumour no one is injured as well isn't it well, that's, that, I hope that's not true, but if it is, it's, it's just, it so just goes on to last. Ben Davis yeah. anchor back then, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. so for me, you know, if, if the student would have been fit, uh, Phillips and Kavak, I would have played the two of them on Sunday and thrown uh, Fabinho in back, in back in midfield. Yeah. But if that's not going to be the case, it's, it's under the jig again. But uh, we can say it's only Fulham, but we've been there before with, with Burnley, Brighton, Everton. Mm. So Brian. it's... What would you do, yeah. Brian, on Sunday in terms of would you just play the, you know, the likes of Phillips at the back and, you know, put, try and get Fabinho back into midfield, you know, get, I mean, there's nothing coming from midfield, is there? There's no well, there is threat from midfield or anything, you know. It's, we've relied upon the. No, no, I, I wouldn't actually, not at the moment, because I just think the defence is so, is so powerless and he needs some kind of a leader at the back who, who can kind of hold the line. And I think Fabinho's doing that very well. Um, it is course we missed him in midfield. But you look at that midfield, I mean, I mean, Jones is having a great season, but he's a kid. He can't be playing twice a week. He needs to be rested. You, you see him having a great game, then he looks tired. It's, it's, it's mental, mental. Thiago hasn't done it yet. I, I, don't, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't made my mind up because I still think he's a brilliant player, but he seems to be playing too deep. When Alden's, when Alden's doing what when Alden does, and he's always fit, we're going to miss him when he goes. But it, again, go back to that bench. If Cater's fit, I go back 52 million, third most expensive player in Liverpool's history. Why isn't he on the pitch, right? Is he holding back for Leipzig? Well, I don't know. But um, Oxlade just doesn't seem to have it for me. You know, his first touch is too heavy, and he, I don't know what he contributes. I was. I was going mad when he brought Milner on because we needed a goal. But Milner looked <laughs> Milner looked at the most decent player because you talk about you talk about yeah. leaders and he's yeah, leader. yeah. and there are yeah, yeah. there, you know. And, and so he, he was driving them on a bit. Mm. Um, but but again, we needed a goal, and he's got a really on the bench who he just doesn't trust at all. He's got Shakiri on the bench. Did he bring him on? And you know, little little decisions have been. Let's be honest, there's been some bad decisions. Minamino, I'm not a big fan of Minamino you know, so far, but he had a good game against Palace. He scored, he's got a cracking goal, played well. And you'd think the form Firmino's in, what is it, six goals in 37 games. He could be he could be popping in. He could be doing half hours there, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And he goes down to Southampton, scores a couple of crackers. But was, was that because they were told, if you want to get two in on the wage bill, you've got to get one out? That's how it appears yeah. to me. Because otherwise, you would have kicked a league out, wouldn't you? I, mean, I, don't, yeah, yeah. I don't kind of get that. So that's a stupid decision, in my opinion. When there's no energy in that front line, they're all needing a break. They're not checking. Just put the same three players in the front of the week and hoping it will somehow work. And mm. that's a kind of depressing thing. I think this. I actually think the problem the team has moved out of, out of the defence because if you look how many goals we're letting in, it's not that bad. Yeah, we all, we all know about the, the effect of, of the midfield, but <clears throat> I'll tell we got over that. And and you know, as I say. The six midfield players had three on the bench, three on the pitch, and surely you've got to get some spark out of that. Surely he says, "Look, we haven't got the final pass right." Well, you know, we should have. There should be players there who've got that final pass in them. They were going to bring the front three alight. So, as has been said by the other lads, it's a lot of hard work on the training ground that's needed. Mm-hmm. I think the manager needs to look at himself. Let's be honest about it. You know, some of the changes haven't been great. Um, I feel sorry for him. 
not just his personal circumstances, but in the fact that you know this season's hit him and, and they haven't backed him in the transfer window. I think that was an error. Um, and he's got his make do amend. Um, but we've got to stop doing this for ourselves. He's got to come up with solutions, tactical solutions. You know, because well, look, look at Leicester with Brendan Rodgers. They had just bad. An injury hit the nose. Okay, we've had players out for longer, but they've had a hell of a taken a hell of a, a battle, and they've got a much weaker squad than ours. Yeah. And he's getting on with it, and he's coming up with solutions. Mm. And there's surely enough players there for Liverpool to come up with solutions now. Yeah, John. I mean, how do you how do you see it? I mean, how do we bounce back? Can we bounce back? Um, yeah, one thing. I think we've got to start off in as positive a manner as we possibly can. Just go uh, back to basics, you think? Well, well, I think sometimes recently, especially at Anfield, there's a few players being taken an easy option, if you like, of passing the ball back or square rather than springing forward the way we used to. Um, and I think we've just got to get positive and... and and this obviously isn't easy, but we've got to take the limited opportunities that might come our way early on. We didn't do it against Brighton with Salah after about two minutes. Um, we didn't do it against Man United when there was opportunities very early on. I think Robertson was in. Um, I know the Origi chance against Burnley was a lot later in the half, but there are opportunities there to, to score early on um, and set the tempo and make the teams, the opposition that you're playing, change their game. A bit like Tottenham did to Burnley last Sunday. You think Burnley's got a good chance there of defend, you know, defending well against Tottenham and getting the results, but Tottenham scored within two minutes. And it's a different ball game then, especially when they get another one after 10 minutes. And it's an, it's an early game over, but we just haven't done that. We haven't made it uncomfortable enough for teams, particularly at home, um, since, since the West Brom game. I'm, to be honest, we never made it uncomfortable for West Brom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is there any light at the end of the tunnel or is it an oncoming train? No, Keith? no, there's, there's got to be. The... You know, we're missing the press again, aren't we? You know, no, all through, oh, sorry, Keith, all through last night, we just wanted to keep the press going because Chelsea was just playing out and, and right through us then or, and throwing that ball over the top. We, we stopped I... doing it. Even when Milner come on, Milner was one that was going forward trying to, trying to get the press going. Mm. I think there's, there's a couple of things you can do. I don't think he's not changed the way we play in respect with the high line, which has not the back the back four. You know, we, we are still pressing up the pitch, and it's it's catching us out. You can't say it isn't. And teams teams are coming to Anfield with that in mind. Um, I think the biggest thing we've got to get away from is, is the fact that teams are coming to Anfield now saying they've just lost five games. They're done now. We can beat them. We can beat these easily. You've got to get that mindset out of the opposing team. And the only way to do that is to pick the pace up of the game that we, when we're playing. To me, we're too slow, we're too deliberate, and teams are just picking us off. I think, for me, picking up what Brian said about Thiago, I myself personally thought Thiago was brought in to play further up the pitch, to play behind the front three, because yeah. he can pick a pass. I think, me, what I'd do on Sunday, I'd put Milner in where, I'd put Milner in where Henderson normally plays. Yeah. I'd put Thiago behind the front three, whoever they may be. And then put another one alongside them to do the run, whether that's Vinaldum or Jones or whoever. And let's just see if we can get something out of them in yeah, a different yeah. formation. I certainly think we need to drop a little bit deeper because teams are just knocking the ball over the top of us. You know, Alisson looked a bit unsure last night, which is understandable considering mm. what he's been through over the last week or so. You know, we're still a straight ball's causing us all kinds of problems down the middle because we're too deep, we're too high up the pitch. Sorry. If we're a little 10 yards deeper, I know it might affect the way we play, but we've got to stop. Them teams coming to Anfield thinking, knock the ball over the top and get on the end of it and we'll score. We've got to stop the teams coming to Anfield thinking they can just turn up and win. And that's what's happening at the moment. So I think we should try and end uh, the podcast on a on a positive note. Brian, can you think of anything positive? Yeah, we've got Leipzig next week. Let's remind ourselves that we're still in the European Cup and we're 2-0 up. That would be easy. They'll play a different game, I think. But, you know, in some ways... It is, it is our priority now. And if we're going to start, you know, resting players or looking around, I'd rather do it in the league games and just really have a go at this because yeah. it, 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 it means so much to the club, it means so much to us. And we need to have something to hope. We need to have something to cling on to because we don't want our season ending at the beginning of March. So yeah. that's, that's, Jota coming back, I think it's a big one, by yeah. the way. Yeah. You know, as, as Mono said, you couldn't judge him last night. But even last night, he looked more direct, which is what I like to see. Yeah. You know, 
dropping one of those three, we're crying out to be dropped. Let's say Firmino and Mane are. We don't might just shake them up and as yeah. you say, uh, push put, push Thiago forward. He's meant for maybe one maybe yeah. one lovely ball to Jota one nil after five minutes and, and it, you know it changes. Mano. Yeah, it's a, it's a massive game. Actually, we keep seeing that every week, don't we? It's a massive game. But <laughs> can't see us losing six on the run at all. Can you? Listen, you know, Leipzig were a good team. Remember, you know, they, they pressed the way we did. They gave us a good game for the weeks ago. So we just got to be uh, be aware of, of their of their um, ability when they're going forward, and because they'll come at us right away, they will want it's first goal to win in this in, in this game for me. It, it, it really is a thing. If, if we score, it can be game over. If they, if they get one back, it's well, it's just as good uh, set in again and, and all the negativity throughout our team. So I think it's important the first goal um, is, is paramount to, to us to get. John, give us something we can look forward to. Sunday coming. Uh, yeah, Jota starting. Um, yeah. Perhaps Cater as well, a bit more energy in midfield. Yeah. You know, um, Thiago and, and Wijnaldum have played game after game after game there for a while now. Um, and maybe just need a bit more energy from the middle and let's start positively and take the opportunities to come our way and hopefully the game will work itself out. Yeah. Keith, I mean, you've always been positive on this podcast. Give <laughs> us something to cheer about. <laughs> or should we just do the St. John chance? No, I just think that. I just think that the players themselves will lift themselves. They've got to, you've got to believe in them because they haven't. I know it's a very cliche thing to say, but they've obviously come, become a bad team overnight. The results will tell you that, but they're still good players, aren't they? Yeah. But yeah. You'd like to think that somewhere and amongst them, they'll get a lift from somewhere because the Fulham game is the biggest game, not not Leipzig. Fulham's the biggest yeah. game because we, if we win that, that gives us a massive lift for Leipzig. Yeah. So, I think it's important we have Milner in the team. Yeah, that's say. So I think the Fulham game, as John has alluded to, and we've all done it. If we get the early chance, take the take the early goal, and you know, like last week in Sheffield United, they're, they're in the Boston three, Fulham in the Boston three. You tend to think we should be beating them, but that's not that simple, unfortunately. But I think that the players can find it in, in amongst themselves to lift themselves and get a result on Sunday. Okay. Thanks a lot. You've been listening to Ali LaRouge, and I think we should, in tribute to St. John, I think we should do the uh, the Rooters song that became a, a cop favourite in the 60s to, to end this podcast. Even a couple of weeks, I'll start it off. Great job. You've been listening to the Ali Rouge podcast on the Blood Red channel.